All right, how are we doing this morning? Wesley Chapel, welcome as you join us right now and uh, as we get ready to finish out this series. My name is Bryant Lee, pastor here. If you're brand new and maybe you're investigating faith, not sure if you have any or you're a longtime follower looking to grow in faith, we're glad you're here. And I want to give you two real quick things before we dive in. And the first one is this. Tonight is a huge night at Wesley Chapel. This is a multi-campus event. But tonight at 5 p.m. is our celebration night. We're going to have about four of these this year. And I can't stress enough what a special time this is going to be for our house. And basically what it is, is we want to connect in an extended time of worship tonight at five. And so that's going to be just really, really incredible with our worship team. Number two, we just want to connect with one another as our gathering grows. We are all about family and we want, even as we grow multi-campus and, and larger in each of our services, that we connect relationally. And so Next Steps is the primary place to do that. Community groups is the primary place to do that. But these nights where we can all come together in one space across multi-campus and multiple services is a really cool time to just connect with people. And um, number three, we want to celebrate. And so tonight, we're celebrating people who are going public with their faith through baptism to say, I'm with Jesus, and Jesus has changed my life. And so that's an important thing. And I think the church, if you're a part, if you call yourself a CCR, we have the responsibility to cheer those people on and celebrate with those individuals as a family. And so tonight at 5 p.m., child care up to four years old. It's only going to be an hour long. I'm not preaching. I've they're barely letting me have any stage time tonight. So you can trust me on that. Come. It's going to be a special night. And then number two, to next week we begin a brand new series called People of the Fine Print and uh, really excited about that. We say this all the time. A new series is the perfect time to invite somebody. So grab a card in the lobby. It'll be all over social media this week. Um, go to text somebody, whatever it is, but find 30 seconds of courage. Invite somebody as we begin that brand new series next week. All right, with that said, you guys ready to land the plane on this series in Wesley Chapel in Virico? Yeah. All right. Here's what we've said for three weeks, now this week four, is we're doing a series all about time. And if you've been here, you know the, the premise of the series is we spend a lot of time obsessing over how much time we have or when we need to be somewhere, but we don't spend a lot of time really thinking about what we're doing with our time. And our time is our most valuable, non-replenishable asset. It's the, it's the biggest thing in your life, and your time equals your life. So Moses came along, and this has been our guiding verse in Psalm 90, 12. He said, teach us to number our days, basically to live like our days are numbered. Because if you live like you have a limitless supply of anything, you waste it. Teach us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Basically, as we've said, Moses is saying to us, in the final seven days of your life, you're going to have crystal clear insight about what is most important. And you're maybe going to have some regrets about what you should have done or what you shouldn't have done. But he's going, it is possible if you begin to have this mindset and pray this prayer to reach into your future and gain the wisdom that you're naturally going to get in your final days and bring that into your now so that you live differently. And if you're a Jesus follower, you have not been called to live for you. You've been called to live for his glory, for his story, to recognize that he holds your days in his hands. And when you do that, you gain extraordinary, extraordinary wisdom. Here's what we began to say last week, and I think this is where a lot of us are, is, is we just, in, a, in an effort to get the most out of our lives, though, for some of us, 
We end up redlining our lives. We end up living with no space. We end up prioritizing the wrong things. And when you don't come to the place to do and to pray what Moses talked about, you end up prioritizing the wrong things. You end up with no space in your life. And ultimately, you end up just at a place where you get maxed out and it impacts every arena of your life. And the arena that it impacts the most that we began to look at last week is the arena of your relationships. The thing that usually suffers the most is the thing ultimately that is most valuable to you. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but your fulfillment in life is almost solely tied to the health of the relationships in your life. At the end of your life, as important as market share is and what you did with those businesses and how much you earned and education, all of those things, the thing that you will value the most is the health of your relationships. And when we move to a place to not do what we've talked about for these three weeks, now four this week, it, we suffer in the areas that really matter to us the most. And so a lot of us right now, and this is why I think there's been so much feedback, honestly, from this series, is a lot of us right now are on the verge or on the edge of causing some of our relationships to suffer in our marriage, with our kids, with some other relationship that's incredibly important to you. And, and sometimes you can't get the genie back in the bottle. Sometimes there's some irreparable damage. Sometimes it, it takes years to get that back. And so today, I, I want to end this series and, and kind of give you one more right hook to kind of just culminate this whole thing and get you to think for just a second. And, and it really, as I was thinking about this, it led me back about five years ago when I had my first kid. I didn't have her, actually. Um, Nicole had her. I barely participated, but um, we, had, we had Brooke, and she's, little, she's about five and a half now. And so it was our first child, and this was also right after we had launched Centerpoint Church. And so um, this was, it was a replant, and so we just, it was basically started from scratch for all intents and purposes. There wasn't a lot of people, and, and anytime you're starting anything new, you, you know this, many of you, it is extraordinarily time-consuming. And so during this season of my life, I had a brand new little girl, and I had lived quite a few years with really no limits in regard to my time. I could kind of do what I want, and there really wasn't a lot of negative consequences to that. But all of a sudden, this tension developed where I had a little girl who also, um, I've shared this before, the first three months of her life, she had colic and reflux. And if you don't know what that means, just translated, it, it's just it's hell on earth. That's, that's basically what colic and reflux means. We didn't sleep for three months, legit. I mean, if number, fourth month is like, finally we got to sleep. We were starting something brand new. Nicole and I hadn't actually even been married that long. And so there was this growing tension. And the thing that I felt was this right here is that there was not enough time. There was not enough time to get everything done. Uh, we were starting something that was brand new, and I really did. I was so passionate in this thing called an alternative to church as usual. I felt like God had birthed a vision. I felt like God was going to use it. I felt like people were going to be impacted. And so I'm super passionate about that. I'm super passionate about diving into that. But when you're starting something, you never get everything done. I mean, there's always a hundred more things to do. And then I have this little baby at home that will not sleep. And my wife, who is unbelievably high capacity, if you know my wife, most organized person I've ever met in my life, smarter than I, that may be going a little bit too far, but like she's incredibly smart. I'm just kidding. Um, incredibly, incredibly high capacity, but she's just, I, I mean, life was 
just really difficult. And I didn't know what to do because there was not enough time to get everything done. And there was this growing tension of, I have this responsibility and I have this passion. I have this thing that God's called me to, but I also have a wife that I want to keep. And I have a baby that's just a few weeks old and there's not enough time for everything. And early on when we were starting things, we even, um, me and a couple volunteers, that's really all we had at the time, actually made like an org chart of where we wanted to go. And this is from this book, E-Myth, if you've ever read that from years ago. And basically, we, we kind of put our names in all of the boxes because we didn't have really many people. And so my name was in like 20 boxes of this org chart of this is eventually where we want to go, but we, we don't have anybody to do anything. And so it was just incredibly weighty. And I was passionate, but there was this growing thing where there was an angst between Nicole and I. There was a tension that was developing. And I knew the end of that story. Like I had met enough like ministry kids and ministry people to know that if something was not done, if I continued on that path indefinitely, that it was not going to end well, that things were, were going to eventually go bad, that, that ultimately I could not, you know, hide behind this thing, which is easy to do in like church world of I'm building the church. I'm building the church. I'm sounds so spiritual. And, and my wife is flaming out with our couple week old kid. And I'm just not there. I, I like, I knew that wasn't going to end well. And the same is true. This is just my story, but in industry or education, or you're a single parent, I mean, whatever it is. And, and I'll never forget. My dad would tell the story over and over and over and over again that I never forgot it because he told it so many times when he was in college. He had a, a professor who would tell him over and over again, a professor who had been a university president, had done all these things and built churches. And he said over and over to my dad's class, hey, listen, it is not worth losing your family in the process. Do not lose your family. I, God allowed me to do some things, but I lost my family in the process. My adult kids won't talk to me any longer. And so he's like, do not lose your family in the process and I knew that's ultimately where it ended up. So, so there I was, and I began to read this little book that was called Choosing to Cheat. I think it's called When Work and, and Family Collide Now, and you can go find that. But it's called Choosing to Cheat. And in this book, um, the, the guy who wrote it, it quoted this little, it was kind of a prayer or this mindset that a lot of people tend to adopt, people like me. And when I read it, I thought, dang it, that, that's me. And here's what he said in the book. This was kind of the prayer, the mindset that I had begun to adopt without realizing it. And basically it was this, God, take care of things at home while I do your work and build the church. God, take care of things at home while I do your work and build the church and take care of my wife and take care of my kid and do your thing and make sure you know, we get through this. But that had become my mindset. But again, I had met enough ministry kids. I had met enough like, just terrible relationships between father and son or father and daughter or mother and daughter to know ultimately that that was not gonna end well. And my big concern was this, is like I didn't wanna get to a place and thankfully at this point I hadn't, but I didn't want to get to a place where I had a marriage that was committed to marriage. Now there's a place for that. I just didn't want to be in that place. There's times where you just need to be committed to marriage. But if that's all you ever had where it's just, we are committed to marriage, that's not, that's a marriage that sucks, right? Like that's not a great marriage if that's all you ever have. And that, that sometimes you just have to be committed to marriage. But I didn't want, I, I didn't sign up for marriage because I was committed to marriage. I signed up because I was committed and loved Nicole. I wanted a great marriage. And I knew ultimately that that's where that was gonna end. I knew that that would be where that ultimately headed. And so it culminated in some really, really, and I don't wanna overstate this, really important, I think life-defining conversations where we just began to ask each other, and mainly me, her, because the problem was with me, what do you need me to do? 
Like, what do you need me to do? How, how do I, because this is a tension to be managed. It's not really going to be solved, but what do you need me to do? What, what do you need me to do for the sake of our family? Now, before I, I go back to that, he, here's the thing, and this is this was so helpful for me because during this time when I was reading this little book, here's the illustration um, that was given that so punctuated this for me and so brought this to life. And it, it was basically this. And this is where a lot of you have been. This is where a lot of you are. This is where a lot of you will be. Even if you're not married with kids right now, this is in a marriage relationship with your fiance. This relates to a lot of us. But for a lot of us, that tension that I just described in your world, in your life, with, with whatever your circumstances are, that tension is basically illustrated like this. When you hand off responsibility to somebody who has not been designed to take on that responsibility, it's like handing them a rock. Like, well, like when you, I'm not going to be there again. I'm not going to be able to make the recital. I'm not going to be able to be home for the birthday, but I'll make it up on the other side. Uh, during this season, until this project is done, until I meet the deadline, and until we get to the finish line of this, whatever it is, and momentarily or for a season, that's okay. That's, sometimes that's just necessary. But when you hand somebody a responsibility that is not their responsibility to carry, it is like handing them a rock. They were not designed to carry that weight. And they're carrying their weight and they're carrying your weight. And here's the thing about people that we love, people who really are leaning in to say, man, I'm all in in this relationship, whatever the relationship is. It is. They almost always get the rock and handle the rock and take the rock willingly for a short amount of time. They almost always go, yeah, yeah, I can do that for a season. But the problem is when we hand off responsibility to somebody who wasn't designed to carry that responsibility and then we leave it there for too long, stuff begins to happen. Stuff begins to hit the fan. Relationships begin to erode because we have not prioritized what should be the most important thing in our life. And all of a sudden there's tension and all of a sudden there's problems and all of a sudden there's imaginary conversations. Here's how you know that, that maybe you've left the rock in somebody's hand too long is we constantly repeat promises to do better. As soon as this is over, as soon as this is done, as soon as we're able to sign this deal, as soon as we get the project completed, as soon as I get past whatever, whatever, I'll be there. I'll show up at the game. I'll make sure I take some of this off of you. And then we show up to appease our conscience and usually we'll, we'll just ask them and this makes us feel better. How you doing with the rock? How you doing with the rock? Go, 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 go. I'm, I'm cheering you on. And we'll bring, I'll bring you flowers. And yet all the while we're leaving the responsibility in their hands that shouldn't be in their hands. And we constantly repeat promises to do better. The second thing is we're chronically absent for important events. You know that you've put a rock in somebody's hand and left it there too long if you're chronically absent for important events. I know I said I was going to be there, but I'm not going to make it. I know I haven't shown up for a game yet. I know that I said we were going to get away. I know I said I was going to take this day off. I know I said, I know I said, I know I said, but we're chronically absent for important events. And then thirdly, you keep pointing to a future place to make up for the past. You keep pointing to the future. You keep pointing to something you're going to do later down the road as in some kind of effort to make up for what has already happened. Like, I will, I promise, I will later down the road, next summer, next spring, after this thing, after I get past, next Christmas, after the project is done. But we're constantly pointing to the future to make up for the past. And ultimately, we have left the rock in somebody else's hand 
hand too long, and we have handed off and given them a responsibility that ultimately is not their responsibility. And here's the thing, you, you know this already, is that eventually, no matter how spiritual somebody is, no matter how willing somebody is, no matter how committed somebody is, eventually their mental willingness in a relationship will be overcome by physical and sometimes emotional exhaustion. And here's the thing. Eventually that rock is going to drop. And, and, and it may not be today, and it may not be tomorrow, it may not even be next week, and if they're really in that relationship, they're going to try to hold it as long as they can, and they're going to try to not say anything, and they don't want to be that person, but eventually that rock is going to drop. And it's so funny when the rock drops, it's not funny, but when the rock finally drops, specifically with men, we always look to the immediate circumstances. And we're like, all I said was pass the ketchup. And now I can't get her to stop sobbing like it's out of control. What is wrong with her? Get it together. Because we're looking at the immediate context. All I said was, all I did was, all I said was, all I did was, all I said was I was going to be late. All I said was I'm not going to be at the recital this time. And she's in a room and she's locked in there and she won't talk to me. All I said was, all I did was, because when the rock drops, we look just at the immediate circumstances and not everything that has led up to that. Well, when the rock drops generally, there are some things where we have to go into crisis management right away. And it's so funny because we didn't have the time before, but suddenly when this thing drops, we find the time. In our marriage, with our kid. When the rock drops, in many cases, intimacy in our relationships or in that relationship is gone. But when the rock drops, it, it in many cases leads to a place where all of a sudden, when you have to go out of town, rather than there being an, oh no, there's kind of this look of relief in somebody else's eyes. When the rock drops, it begins to affect and it begins to move into the relationships that matter the most to us. And, and, and you, you know this already. And if you haven't been there, mm, some, someday you might be. But if you leave the rock in somebody's hand too long, eventually you may get to a place where there is irreparable damage. And you can't get it back. And you can't go back and undo it. And it may take years to regain trust. And it may take a very long road to start to put that relationship ultimately back together again. And here's the question, is, is why? Like, why do we do that? And the answer is pretty simple, because we love progress. And I can't speak for everybody, but if you're a guy, I think this is really relevant to you, but it's relevant to all of us, is that we love progress. And when I'm at work, if I'm in some kind of industry, if I'm, whatever I'm doing, I can measure progress. I can get something done and see it. I can create checklists. I can move a project toward a finish line. I can see what's happening. I can see where the ball is moving down the field. But when I go home, I don't see any of that. To go back to week two, it's just time over time. There is compounding value in spending small amounts of time over time. And that is most true in our family relationships. It's most true with our kids. Like nobody's gonna cheer me on. There's not gonna be any bonuses. There's not gonna be an award ceremony because I got home for dinner. 
Nobody's going to pat me on the back because I prioritize my kids' spiritual well-being and I have them in a place where I know it's going to benefit them 10 years from now. Nobody's going to cheer me on because I prioritize dating my wife and trying to invest in intimacy in our relationship. Uh, Nobody is going to do that. It's small amounts of time over time and we love progress. And we should, it's Genesis 2, it's the cultural mandate that says you've actually been created, this is before the fall, this is before sin, you've been created to create things, you've been created to manufacture things, you've been created to build things, you've been created to do things in culture, there's nothing wrong with that. But when it gets to a place where your pursuit of progress leads you to a place where you don't prioritize the things that are most important, the scripture says it's idolatry. Idolatry is just, I will go after what I think is going to bring fulfillment, even if I have to say no in my relationship to Jesus to get it or to do it. And ultimately, it means that that thing has become the priority of your life. And so we've been called to create things. We've been called to move things forward. But ultimately, our days are numbered. We have a small amount of time. And there are only so many big rocks that we can prioritize. And so there's a tension that begins to develop. And in my relationship with Nicole, I've told this before, but this all culminated in one night where I was out again. I had a meeting and then I met somebody else and then my phone died and I did not call her back. And she is um, rightfully losing her mind and incredibly angry and worried, and I'm not calling. And I finally stroll in at like 8 45, 9 o'clock, and we were in a town home. And I walk in and up the stairs, she's at the top of the stairs, and she's crying, and Brooke is crying and still not in bed. And it, it just was not pretty. And I've, I've told this before too. And it just, uh, I, my wife is an incredible woman. Um, and I deserve this, but it got to the point where she's so angry and just needed to do something that she went to our DVR and just deleted all of my shows that night as some kind of payback. So that's how bad it had gotten. And at that point, like we just had a come to Jesus moment. I was like, okay, what, what do you need me to do? And part of that, I already knew the answer to the question. Hey, you, you can't work 70 plus hours a week anymore. You can't come home at nine o'clock. You can't leave me with a colicky baby. You, you, you have got to be present. And I understand there's things you have to do and attend to. And it's never been in my DNA to not work hard. So that's not what she was suggesting. But you have got to begin to create some space. You have got to be here. You've got to prioritize me and prioritize us. And, and I'll just tell you, I haven't always got it right. You can ask our staff. I have about, there's about 14 on staff. And every once in a while, I will have a meeting go long and I will not get home. And all of a sudden, if there's something really pressing that we're supposed to be at, you'll, the phone will start ringing in the front office and they'll go to the second office and then the third office and the fourth office and if nobody answers everybody's cell phone will start to just blow up until my wife gets me so just full transparency I haven't always gotten it right but that was a defining moment to go okay I, I have been called to love my wife well, to prioritize my kids. And I know what I want at a later season. And if I put this rock in her hands and I leave it there for too long, I know the end of the story. I know where things will end up. I know what I will reap in terms of my relationship with my kids. And so things have got to change right now. And I'll never forget literally thinking in my mind, like if I'm ever gonna get up and talk about Ephesians 5 and have the moral authority behind that, then I've got to take it seriously. 
Because like you, like, like a lot of you, I believe what the scripture talks about. I believe that Jesus really did come and really did live a perfect life and really did go to a cross and die for all of my sins, past, present, and future. And I really do believe that in history, he walked out of a grave alive and the people actually saw him alive. And there was a bunch of New Testament writers during that same time who began to record it, began to write it down. And we believe that we should take the New Testament seriously. And guys like Paul and Peter came along to go, okay, this is what you need to prioritize in terms of your time, in terms of your relationships, in terms of your marriage, because you believe that Jesus is the son of God. And I knew that if I was ever going to be able to do that, I had to take those things seriously. Things like this, Ephesians 5, 21, where it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit meaning I want you to place your time and your needs and your desires as secondary to their time, their needs, their desires, their hopes, their dreams. Hey, here's what's interesting. I have never, ever been called to submit to my career. I have never been called to submit to anything in industry. I've never been called to submit to some weird desire to create a name or to to be successful in somebody else's eyes. I have been called, you have been called, if you're in a relationship, a marriage relationship, to submit for the sake of the other person out of reverence for Christ. Basically, here's what Paul is writing who wrote this little letter to the Ephesian church. Here's basically the interaction. It's us going, okay, God, if, if you've placed your faith and trust in him, God, I, like you love me unconditionally. You've given me everything. You've forgiven me. You have bestowed upon me new life. I have a new purpose. God, what can I do for you to say thank you? And God's going, nothing. I want you to go and do for them what I did for you. I want you to move in their direction and I want you to do for the sake of them what I did for the sake of you. And it's not out of reverence for them ultimately. It's not even about them. It's about me. Because maybe they're not, maybe there's, there is no reverence right now. That was the thing. In my relationship, we hadn't gotten to the point where we didn't have reverence for one another. So it wasn't like, well, I, I don't like Nicole, but I have reverence for Christ. So I'm going to do this. But but here's the great thing. Maybe you're at that place. Here's the other beautiful thing about what the scripture teaches about relationship. When you begin out of reverence for Christ to do what Christ has called you to do, you can regain reverence in a relationship. And so he's going, this is what I've called you to do, not even for the sake of them, but for the sake ultimately of your relationship with Christ. I want you to submit your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your time, your opportunities. I want you to put their deal above your deal. And again, that's difficult. I mean, you read that initially to go, God, that, that's the only way to say thanks? Can I tithe 11% instead? Can I go on a mission trip? Like that's difficult to submit all of my desires and make them secondary to theirs. But basically what Paul is saying is this, is that one of, most, one of the most profound ways to show gratitude to your savior in your relationships is through how you manage your time and who you put first. And then he, he says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's mutual submission so that when I get to verse 25, nobody's going to freak out. Wives, submit to your husbands. If I can just say this, I, the church has, has just 
brutally jacked this up to where, if I can just really speak honestly for a second, in a lot of church cultures, women, even in 2018, have been marginalized, and there is this weird, like even in the church, the church in many cases has trouble with strong women. They've misinterpreted these verses. This is about mutual submission out of reverence for Christ. And so when he says, wives, submit to your husbands, it's because he's also called husbands to submit and love their wives. And he's going, this is not because they deserve it. Because you're like, my husband, uh uh-uh. This isn't about your husband, though. This isn't about how great he is. This isn't about the fact that he's never going to take advantage of it. This really has nothing to do with him. I want you to submit yourselves to your husbands out of reverence to Christ as you do to the Lord. And again, what Paul's saying is this. Hey, you know how you're so submitted to me talking about Christ? I want you to channel that to him. I want you to place your wishes, your hopes, your needs, your desires as the secondary priority to them. And then he says this, and husbands, love your, yeah, but you don't know my wife. It doesn't matter about your wife. Husbands, love your wives. This isn't about what she deserves. I want you to do it because Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. Okay, God, I thank you for your forgiveness and for your love and for what you've done in my life. Like, how can I say thanks? How can I show gratitude to you? Lay down your life for your wife and your kids. Lay down your life. Make your life secondary. Put your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your ambitions, your movement towards success is secondary to them. How how do I say thank you? You submit your desires for progress, success, ambition, You make that secondary to her. Her deal is bigger than your deal. And it's not that it's not important. It's not that I haven't even called you to it. But you have been called into this mutual submission competition in relationship. And if you will take me seriously, this won't be about not achieving things. You'll have more balance. You'll have fewer regrets. And you will maximize the opportunities that I've given you. But you have got to trust me. And can I just say this? I think if I can just speak to guys for a second, husbands who have a wife, I I think that this doesn't need to be a thing that's just intellectual. I think that they need to feel this. I think there's gotta be a way that they feel that you would lay down your life for them. You would give that up for them. The fact that you love her and that mentally you would do this is great. If it doesn't show on your schedule, it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like you would do this. And so Paul's going, this is the way forward. Well, that's, that's asking a lot. It is if the shadow of your time and your career and your marriage is you. It's not if the shadow of your time and your career and your marriage is the cross. That shadow that echoes through the ages, listen, I gave up everything for you. And what it means to follow me is to do that for other people around you, especially in the relationships that matter most. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And you know what the greatest obstacle to this is? We've talked about it now. This is the fourth week. The greatest obstacle is fear. The greatest obstacle is fear. The greatest obstacle to all of these things is fear of, what if I don't accomplish as much? What if I don't measure up? What if I start changing some things and saying no to things and there's certain people who don't understand? 
There's certain people who misinterpret. There's certain people who don't quite get it. What are people going to think? What if they read into this? The thing in many cases that drives this is our fear. And we're creating schedules and, and we're being driven in terms of our time and we're creating the, these things based off of our fear of what might happen, fear of what they might think, fear of what they might read into it. And, and I've struggled with the same things. I remember early on creating kind of some guardrails with my wife thinking, this is going to be really difficult. How do you say no to certain people, especially with what I do? And there's kind of this expectation of, hey, listen, I'll meet you at 6 a.m. and we can do coffee. And sometimes I would line up three coffees in a row, but I can't meet you for dinner. We probably can't go do that. We're not going to be able to hang out as much. I love you. I want to invest in people. I'm all about that. But there's certain things that they just cannot take priority over my family. And you can't, well, can we do dinner? Can we, can, can we go out? Can we, can we, can we, can we, can we, all these requests. How do you say no to that on the front end? Like, when can we do it? Never. We can never do it. Are you, when my kids are all 18, we can do it. If you want to get that on your schedule, get it on your schedule. But like, I can't ever, we can never, ever hang out until my kids are grown and in college and out of my house, hopefully. Like, like, like how, how do you do that? Here's the thing I was, I was talking to my wife about recently that just clarified this for me because I still struggle with this tension of wanting to be there, wanting to be available, wanting to do all that I can, but recognizing there's a limit. And to go back to last week, I'm not going to go to the edge of my field. There's going to be sp space. But the thing that just kind of rose to the forefront of my mind is just this. In 10 years, I'm going to have no regrets about people I didn't do dinner with. None. I will have regrets if I did not prioritize my wife and my kids and honor God in those relationships. And in this book that I quoted, this was the line that began to become a prayer for me in this book, Choosing to Cheat, where he just said this in one of the later chapters that just so resonated. God, this is what I think you want for me, so will you build what you can through that? And I remember my prayer becoming, I don't know, God, what you're going to do, but after reading that, I began to write it down on a three-by-five card to go, this, this is what I want to be my prayer. God, I'm going to give you what I can give you, and I'm going to work hard, and I'm going I'm to do my best, but I'm not going to take it to the limit, and I'm going to prioritize and value my wife and my kids and that relationship, so will you do what you can through that? I, I don't know what kind of church you can build. I don't know what that's going to look like. But I just want to honor you in this, and, and this is the prayer that was in the book to quote it. Lord, will you take care of things at work while I take care of things at home? And again, this is not advocating not working hard. This isn't advocating do, doing all that you can, but that's never been a struggle for me. My struggle has been taking it to the limit and not prioritizing certain relationships in my life. And so, God, again, I'm gonna do all that I can, but I am not gonna get to a place where I redline my life. And so, God, will you do what only you can do? And it's kind of a, almost a ridiculous prayer because you're thinking like, okay, do I even need to pray that? It's kind of like, God, can you do that? creator of economies and systems, the God who tells blind people to start to see, the God who raises dead people with a touch, the star breather, the universe creator. Do you think you can do that? Can you handle that? Yeah. So God, I, I, just, I want to honor you in this. And the, the other thing that just stuck out to me during this time where, where there was so much tension and we had to figure some things out that, that I, I read that so just, again, brought this to my attention and helped clarify was just this, is that I'm only going to ever have two unique roles in my life. Only two. 
first husband to Nicole, hopefully the only one, but definitely the first one. And she can go get another one, but she can't get another first. So I'm the first husband to Nicole, and I'm the only dad my kids are ever going to have. Like somebody else is going to pastor this church one day, somebody else is going to preach, somebody else is going to do whatever other things that I do, all of those things, somebody's coming behind me. It is not unique to me. I'll be replaced by somebody else. But I'm the only dad that my kids are ever going to have, and I'm the only first wife my wife is ever going to get. And so why would I trade those unique roles for something that somebody else ultimately is going to do? I love this statement by Andy Stanley. Don't trade what is unique to you for something someone else will eventually do. Don't trade what is unique to you for something that somebody else will eventually do. Because again, even growing up, I had, I had heard too many stories. I had witnessed too many just meltdowns in families and just the reality of my kids are only going to get one, one season in dance at five years old. They're only going to get a short time where they're playing ball. They're only going to get one you know, section of middle school years ever. And it is gone in a flash. I only get that one time and I can't go back. I can't go back to those years ever again. My kids are never going to be five, three, and one ever again. This is, there's one time, and I get to parent one time, and I can't get any do-overs with any of this. I get to prioritize spiritually one time, and I recognize that what I'm doing now will have catalytic effects 10 years from now. So I'm going to get them in groups where people can speak into life and pour into them because there is going to come a day where they're not going to listen to me. And I recognize right now that prioritizing the church and getting them into community community is going to make my job a lot easier because if I can help it, I want to put, to quote Chandler, a kindling around them to where eventually they may love and follow Jesus. And I get one shot at that and I can't get it back. And I only have two unique roles in my life. So I need to end with this and we need to land the plane. But, but this is really the thought that comes to the forefront of my mind is I don't want to get to another season of my life. I don't want to get into my 50s. I don't want to get into my mid 60s. I don't want to get to the place where my kids are grown and look back and think, I wonder what God would have done if I had trusted God. I wonder what God would have done if I had trusted God in all of these areas. I wonder what God would have done if I would have taken Matthew 5 seriously, where, where our Heavenly Father says to us, listen, I know what you need. Don't worry. I know what you need, so do all that you can, but then trust me with the outcome. But I know what you want for your college students. I know what you want for your marriage. I know what you want for this business, and maybe I've called you to that. I know what, I, what, I, what you want for that education. I know the dreams and the desires and the ambitions that I've placed inside of you. I know all of those things. You don't know what's ahead. You can't predict the future, but I know, so don't worry. I don't want to get to a later season and wonder what God might have done. And I can say this with all sincerity, my heart for our church and my heart for you, I, I don't want you to get to a later season of your life and wonder what God might have done if you had trusted God. Wonder what God might have done if you had followed him in that when it was so difficult and the tension was so strong. Because isn't this true? Like we have enough unavoidable regrets that are accumulated for us. In many cases by other people where we really didn't even have a hand in it, but because of their decisions and their behavior, they, they created regret for us. There's enough of that in a sin-infested world. 
that we don't need to accumulate it for ourselves. And so don't get to a later season of your life and wonder, man, God, what would you have done if I would have trusted you with my sexuality? If I would have trusted you with my marriage relationship? If I would have trusted you with those ambitions, those dreams, and those desires? If I had trusted you with my marriage relationship to do it the way I knew you were calling me to do it? What if I had trusted you with my education? What if I had trusted you with this business? What if I had trusted you in that season when a thousand voices were cheering me on in the wrong direction? What if I had trusted you? What if I had taken seriously the most repeated command in all of the scripture? Fear not. The only way to follow Jesus is to walk by faith. Fear not. So as we end, as we end this series, for some of us in an effort to squeeze and get the most out of our lives, in a sense we've lost control of our lives. And I don't want you to get to a place later on where you're finally going to get the wisdom that is available to you now, but you'll get that wisdom when it's too late. There'll be a moment where you'll have crystal clear insight into what is most important and what you should prioritize. Don't wait. God, help us to live like our days are numbered so that we can gain a heart of wisdom, wisdom that we're gonna get down the road, but we're not gonna wait down the road. We're gonna bring it into our now and we're gonna live differently. So what, what do you need to do? What do you need to do? For some of you, as we've said for a couple weeks, you need to go cancel something. You need to go give something up and you will be misunderstood and people will judge your motives. And there's certain individuals who will not understand what you're doing. There's others who will make, take it personally. But what do you need to do? What do you need to give up? Where do you need to lean into your husband or wife? And they've been talking to you for a long time and you constantly have an excuse and, and you just need to confront what is true. You need to lean in. You need to make some changes. For some of you, it's, it's as simple as, man, I need to begin to prioritize dinner with my kids. For others, you need to begin to invest spiritually. I can't hit this enough. Would you just go to environment like Next Steps if you haven't already and begin to get rooted in a local church and figure out how to plug in and how to grow, how to get your kids into community, into a small group where somebody is anchoring the gospel in their lives. I'm just telling you, there's gonna come a day where you're gonna need an outside voice who has gained trust that can speak into their life. Don't wait till you're in crisis management. Would you get into a community group and begin to prioritize and value your marriage enough? This is most difficult for us as men, but would you do it so that God can begin to work? God can begin to give you wisdom through the lives and the stories of other people, but you need to get rooted to a local church. You need to prioritize spiritually. Come on, by 11 or 12 years old with your kids, most of the heavy lifting is done. So what do you need to do today for the sake of your marriage, for the sake of your kids, for the sake of your spiritual growth, for the sake of where God wants to lead you? And then I just wanna end with this. And I've told this story one other time a number of years ago, but this is a story that is seared in my mind. And this is this kind of story that I hope my kids can tell down the road. I'll never forget as a teenager, um, I played sports and generally during one sports season, it was like, you get one thing that you can do and that's it. We're not doing four, but you can do one. And then, you know, my dad was a pastor, so it was easy, but he would prioritize our spiritual growth and well-being, which I am so grateful for. But I love sports. I was all in. And one of the things I remember about my dad is we travel all over the place. 
um, in high school, and we'd do games sometimes two hours away, and he would be at every single game. He would be at every single game. He would never miss a game. And, and I'll never forget, and I just tell this story because maybe specifically for you as men, these are the stories and the incidences that are seared in the minds of your sons. Is I'll never forget he had a meeting set up and one of the games, the time got changed at the last minute because of the venue, because of the gym. And so it was unexpected, but that's what happened. And, and I'll never forget him telling the story later that he went to a couple guys, this is not urgent, nothing's gonna fall apart. We don't need to meet tonight. I'm gonna cancel this meeting because my son has a game and I'm gonna make sure I'm at the game. And one of the individuals that were actually on staff from at the time got really, really upset that he would prioritize sports over being at this meeting that, I mean, it's a church meeting, not a lot's gonna get done. Um, and so he just told him, listen, and I'll never forget this statement, I'll never forget my dad telling me this statement years ago and he's repeated it several times. He just looked at this guy in the eye and said, listen, there's a lot of people who can pastor. My son has one dad. I don't think he threw up deuces, but then he was, he was out. And I'll, I'll never forget that. I tell that story all the time, and I, I'll never forget that story. And of all the things, I can't remember many messages my dad preached. I can't remember many sermons. But man, I, I will never forget that. And I think that my parents have experienced some multi-generational blessing because of decisions like that. So what do you need to do? What decision do you need to make? What do you need to prioritize? And I just want to leave you with this. Psalm 39. I think this is the message paraphrase, but I love the language and the wording. It just says this. Remind us how brief our time on earth will be. Remind us that our days are numbered. And our life is fleeing away. Our lives are no longer than the width of our hands. And our entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is but a breath. So Lord, remind us how brief our time on earth will be. Would you guys pray with me all over the house? If you're in Wesley Chapel, I'm going to send it to you right now.